Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Stop where you are. Let's pray, and then you can find your spot eventually. So we're third Sunday in Advent. You noted that it changed to the rose color. Things kind of lighten up, and that makes it fun. But uh, then next week, remember, it's Christmas Eve, so it's not the fourth Sunday. You could do a lot of things. We decided that you would think about it as Christmas, so we went on our Christmas schedule. So next Sunday morning, nothing in the morning, right? But then in the evening, 4 and 7, and then on Monday, Christmas Day, normal thing, 10. So for you who are new, if there's a daytime service, it's always at 10. And if there's an evening service, it's always at 7. So you can set your watch by that. Uh, Sometimes we might add, like we add the 4 o'clock. Also, if you have unchurched friends who want to come to church or people for whom church might be a bit odd, 4 is one of the very few times we don't have the Eucharist here. Uh, It'll be lessons and carols at 4 o'clock, so completely... You know, I mean, it, it can't hurt you much. So, um, you know, you should, you, should, you should come along. All right, here we go. Oh, Lord, accept our prayers and our supplications and grant that we may heed the call of John the baptizer to prepare the way for your son and receive him into our hearts, that we may become your children through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, all sorts of things to kind of clean up, explain, and then say to you, we're done with Bible study until the 21st of January, so uh, a few weeks off. And Sunday school, too, the 21st, okay? So, we're about, you know, two or three weeks off. I think in there, help me out, somebody who knows things, Grace for School, Grace School is coming up to make us pancakes one day. Do you know the day? Is it the first Sunday in January? January 7th. January 7th, so it is the first Sunday in January. So come for breakfast, the Grace School people. That helps us say something nice about gifts for grace. Pull your tag, bring stuff back. Make everybody happy if you can do that. The tags, I'm sure, are hung on the bulletin board. Are they not? Yes, they are. See, this things work like clockwork. Thank you very much. Um, and since that's so efficient, and we gave money to Grace last week, we'll give money to pads. It's getting cold, and uh, people are caught outside. So if you could please, please put a little extra money in there, that would be fabulous. All right, just a run of things. I don't give any tax advice. Um, that's my wife's department, but she shouldn't, she shouldn't give you any tax advice. Yeah, I know I was going to, but the thing, yeah, so she, my tax advisor says to me, this is slightly outdated now. Yes, I realize that because, so I was really torn about whether to give you this. Um, you know, everything keeps changing day by day. Uh, you know, the big point here is if you itemize and then you're not going to, this year and you're not going to itemize next year, it might be better for you to give, uh, capital campaign stuff this year, but I don't, this has changed, this was the 11th, it's already, what day is this? So many things change in America in six days, right? So, um, no, I just, I'll let them have the legal liability, but we'll give it to you and you can kind of think that through, okay? So we'll let that go. A couple of things, Um, you might have noticed that you might have gotten a text from us this week and also an email, we're trying to figure this out. So the first thing I want to say in my own defense is I'm not, I'm not going to spam you and I'm not a mass marketer. But I am interested in the possibility of having you all read the same thing at once and ha- just have 60 seconds where maybe you're diverted from your normal day. So if we would send you a text that would say, could you all please pray for St. John right now? It would be interesting to us if we could actually have that happen. We promise not to spam you or use it for the mundane. If you want to get things by text, um, Make sure we have your phone number. It'd be really helpful. You could even give me your cell phone now if you if you want if you prefer things by text. I, I prefer things now by text rather than email because it comes up more quickly, and they're very small bites. So if you we we did resist 
a little bit putting the image through. Just out of curiosity, how many of you still pay for text by, you know, number of texts or anything? Anybody? Is everybody? So a couple of people are. Um, so I'm nervous about sending you something that eats up your whole data plan in one text. Uh, however, uh, it's uh, we're trying to figure this out. I'm sitting with my young techno genius, um, Bukes, and my uh, empathy advisor, Nelson, and on, on each side. They, you know, they're all in touch with different things, and we're trying to figure out exactly what to do. The other thing is it doesn't cost us 46 cents when we send you a text, right? Because if we mail... So we're trying to figure out a way that would be immediate, would get to everybody, wouldn't be costly, and can be you know, more timely, perhaps, than something that you find when it's six days old, old news. So we're trying to figure it out. We're just trying to figure it out. Karen Crawford, did you think you were my emotional advisor? Yeah, you probably did. You didn't know us, Pastor Nelson. Go ahead. What's the question? Um, do we have the ability to send out a mass phone call? We do, but I'm afraid that you'll find that even more annoying than a mass text. We do have the ability to send out a, a, a phone call. Now, we don't yeah, hmm. I would actually, I would love to talk to you about that offline because I think, because uh, I think I could talk you into it. No, because I, uh, so we have to actually, um, so we have to think, we have to think about this so that we, yeah, we want to complete, and we, we, we're always going to have to bump and nudge. So will you call me this week, wish me Merry Christmas, and tell me what I should do, Karen? I would never tell you. <laughs> what, is our relationship changing? I'm, I'm off balance. I'm off balance now, Karen. No, okay. I, that's fine. No, everything is good. Just let me know. All right? So I promise not to spam. I, I feel a little weird, though, sending you the same thing twice, right? So we sent, you a, uh, we sent you words by text, and we sent you image by email. If I was you, I might be a little annoyed by that, but we're just trying to figure it out, so bear with us. I had somebody who wanted to go to the seminary. I'll come right to you, Carol. Remind me. I had somebody who wanted to go to the seminary. The, this And I always, as you know, if people want to go to the seminar, I always try to, I say to them things like, well, you can't work with your hands, the world needs welders, have you thought about, you know, being a farmer? Uh, but I, I said to them, here's the thing, here's the thing, and I just want you to just, you know, I'm going to bear my soul to you now in a moment of weakness, okay? Uh, a pastor spends his whole life listening to people say no to him. You think you're a salesperson? You hear no a lot. Even Schlesman told me one in ten was a salesman's home. Salesman's home. I, I'm not one in ten, okay? So a pastor says, repent of your sins, no. By grace alone, no. Accept a text from me, no. How about an email, no. Send you a letter, no. Call me, no. You know, no, I mean, a pastor, and guys actually quit the ministry because the negative reinforcement of the one thing being a pastor is you spend your whole life, and people don't always just say no. Sometimes they increase the volume and the affect. Sometimes they even use their hands, right, as they talk to you. So uh, the, one, the interesting thing about being a pastor is you spend your whole life listening to people say no. This is a little like raising two-year-olds, right? Um, because, not you, I'm just saying in general, because you get used to this, you know, but the, the most delightful thing a pastor hears when somebody says yes. Because here's the thing. Yeah, of course you have circumstances. Get what? I have circumstances too, all right? So, you know, everybody has circumstances. But the point is, 
to try to get all you very strong-willed, successful, independent people to pull on the same end of the rope, that's actually you know, what we're trying to figure out how to do. In general, we do that pretty well. But you know, as I often told my kids, it's a yes world, right? Anybody can say no. It's a yes world. You, know, you own the world by saying yes. Um, of course we can do that, right? So anyway, just kind of kind of think it all the way through. I might, it might be mildly uncomfortable for you sometimes. We're willing to tweak. But also, uh, it's toward purpose, right? It's toward community. It's toward everybody on the same end of the road. That's what we're aiming for. Carol. Uh, this is neither a yes nor no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, here's the reason why. Because um, you didn't pay $5,000 to hire a texting company. We just said to Pastor Bukes, can you do this? So he went in his office, and the wires sparked when he put them together. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, no, this is so embarrassing. I'm like, what? He's like, ah, it didn't send the way it said. So actually, it wasn't Bukes' problem. It was a software problem. Yes, you, it should not happen again uh, by law. Actually, we talked a little bit about whether we should, because we can, because he's smart enough to write the software to circumvent the FCC. But by law, the very first text you get has to be an opt-out text. Okay, The very first text has to say, this is coming from St. John Lutheran Church, opt-out. Now, here's the thing. If you want to type, just in case you want to say no, don't text more than stop. Don't say stop because you're a big idiot and it's Christmas and I'm really busy. That doesn't actually stop. You just have to top stop and send it back, okay? If you, if you write a sentence, it doesn't work, okay? So the reason is the first one had to go and then, you know, now computer talk. Something, now I'll let me something for you. Something didn't work and so we had to come from a second number. I think things should come again from that number. You shouldn't be seeing a bunch of numbers. So we use a service they give us, you know, 5,000 texts to start for free to see if we can make it work, and then they charge us a very little bit after that. So the reason is because pastors are running your computers. That's the reason why, right? Like so many other things, that's, that's the reason why. So you, hopefully, hopefully it will be very clean from now on, hopefully, hopefully, okay? Questions about other things? All right, if you, uh, you know, I don't want to annoy you. If you, I do want you to play along. I don't want to annoy you. There's some middle ground there. It looks like the ground between North Korea and South Korea. So uh, we'll move back and forth and try not to shoot over the border as we figure that out. Okay, you all good? All right, thanks for playing along. Um, let's see. Does anybody want to write for the bulletin? I do have, so I, I said this last time, but I would love for you to write if you want to write, if you feel like you want to just write something about stewardship, about the gifts that God has given you, about St. John as a community, about what's ordinary and extraordinary. If you want to write, uh, send me stuff, and I'd be happy to get some. I have a dozen or so that are very, very nice, and I'm very, very thankful for. Let me see. You can see how much I had done. All the yellow things are things I wanted to say to you. Today I have nine so I had nine things I wanted to say to you before I got to what I was doing, because you're so interesting, and there are lots of things that um, I should probably say. So let's just check this out. Uh, I will say the happiest thing that's happened is there have been two things that have been the happiest about having a cap cam. One is older, I shouldn't say old, long-time members, so people who have been here a long time, who just sort of said, oh, yeah, that's what we do. That was, it's fabulous, right? 
so you know that it's kind of ingrained in them. They just sort of say, oh, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, of course, we're in. That's, it's all good. Um, but the other side is newer people. You know, you get a little burst of this in the catechumenate, but you don't really get the full blastedness of, you know, kind of why this matters unless you go through it together. The interesting thing is to have a load of new people just say, oh, yeah, this is, this is great, and to really have them think through and figure out what's going on. That's been a very, a very happy thing. So anyway, thanks for that. It's very interesting to watch it happen in real time, and hopefully it'll, it'll uh, all work out. All right, anything else? I find that when I sit down to write about this, it comes easily to me. Uh, I think partly because of my experiences here and just, you know, for whatever reason. I wrote you a long piece, but I don't know if it's good to just to read you that long piece. But I'll at, least, I'll at least give it to you in summary. So, you know, in general, people aren't very good with money, and in general, churches aren't very good with money. Now, the great thing is St. John is really different, and that's, that's kind of fun. And we talked last week about how if we, this is kind of our last pop, we don't really need to do this, but if we do this well, the future really opens up to us. You know, so the next time you have a capital campaign, you should say, you know, we'll finance the whole church in Russia for a year, or we'll start a church downtown. We probably have 30, under 30 members of St. John live in the city who don't really, haven't really found a place to go to church. For years, for 10 years, we've had plans on, on board to open a church in the city. A St. John, kind of a St. John clone in the city. You know, but those kinds of things take time and money and, and some other things that we might be short on sometimes. But this sort of opens the future to do all kinds of cool things. So that's kind of fun. I've given you a long list of reasons why things can go wrong. You kind of know these reasons, right? We can get selfish. We can get hard-hearted. We can get afraid. We don't have the experience for this. There's a range of reasons why people aren't good with money. Sometimes they were just never taught. Sometimes it's kind of mysterious. And the thing is, you've got to actually talk about it because with money, you can buy everything. You can even buy life and you can buy time, right? So old uh, Bob Williamson used to say to me when he was an elder way back when, every problem is a question of time and money. And you know, the thing is, it's pretty true. But I'd even, I'd even say this, with money, you can buy time. So every question in the church is a question of money, actually. And I'd be willing to buy you lunch and try to explain that to you. But your relationship with money, Jesus talked about two things a lot. Prayer, because it was difficult, and money, because it was difficult. It's really interesting. Those are the two things he talks about most. So interesting. And if you get them right, the world opens up to you. So every once in a while, you have to kind of think this through. Okay. Um, I'm turning the page just on this red sheet. Jesus tells us all kinds of stories about that, and you know those stories. And the question then is, you know, if we'll, it's like everything else that Jesus says, whether we'll say yes to him, right? Whether we'll talk about it and whether we'll become really good at it. The one thing I guess for your takeaway is, is for you, it's important for you to understand that money is a neutral. It's not a plus or minus. It just is. It's a neutral. It depends on how you use it. I gave you, it's like an axe or an airplane, you know? You can use an axe and it's wonderful, you know, or not. Um, they're, they're tools. It's a tool that you need to learn how to use. And that's part of the reason we gave kids money at you know, Advent 1. It's been such an interesting experience to watch. We had everything from kids who refused to take the money, and we've kind of speculated and tried to figure out why that was, right? So it's too good to be true. 
uh, I don't want the responsibility, I can't really see need, um, there has to be a catch here somewhere, all the way to people who already were texting me in the afternoon, we've already given it away and here's what we've done. And you should look at the thing, all the places where people are, the kids are coming up, right, one after another. By the way, just as I said last week, when I said I want a receipt, I didn't mean I want a handwritten receipt. The Salvation Army red kettle guy will not give you a receipt, but you can get your picture taken with him, right? So just send me something so I can say to the congregation where the $6,000 went, right? Because I have to kind of explain that to people where that went. Um, what we do want to do, though, is get everybody to kind of think together, first about their ordinary life, um, tithing and all this. I do want to say one thing, because this always comes up, and maybe I haven't been as clear on this as I should have been in the past. You have to understand the 10% number, number in the way of the gospel. So, you know, your number is 10% unless it's not. You can have a range of reasons why it's not. You started late, and you have to rearrange your whole financial life for this to help. You've got a child who's um, hurt or wounded or needs special care. You're, as the scriptures say, taking care of your mother or your father. Uh, all those things I get, and you shouldn't feel bad about that. Or maybe you just, you know, in your whole life you've had, you know, some bad breaks or low-paying jobs or out of work. All that gets covered under the blanket of mercy, right? So, like everything else in your life, you know, how you talk to people, whether you love them or not, whether you're kind to people, money falls the same way. It's all under mercy. The problem with us is that we can always find a reason not to be generous, right? We can always find a reason why we're not going to listen. And that's why there's so much talk about, hey, look at this number. The church throughout the ages has not done a good job with the number that Jesus took. So here's the thing. When Jesus picked numbers, he picks 10. Pick 10. That's what you should pick, unless there is some fantastic, reliable, provable reason why you don't. And just because, you know, you want more of this or that, that's not the right reason. As somebody said to Pastor Nelson this week, the fabulous thing, uh, the thing that I can't believe is that God lets me keep 90%. You see, like when, you, when that clicks in, the thing you can't believe is that God lets you keep 90%. Right? Now, of course, there are reasons why some of you, if you come to this late, if your life is kludgy, if, you know, just pick something. Um, yeah, I get that. And that, then you're under mercy. But don't take that out too easily. Think that through. Maybe even talk to your pastor about it or get an outside opinion from somebody else because we're great at self-deception. Okay? So the reason you hear so much about that is because for most people, that's the normal way to um, get cooking. And you'll find out once you do it, uh, You'll find out, one, that it's kind of a happy experience, even though sometimes it can be difficult. And two, you'll start to find each other. One of the most interesting things I always tell the vicars is that in the congregation, like finds like. So uh, if we get somebody who's crabby, I mean, this is true. Crabby people find crabby people within six weeks of joining the congregation. You can just look around the room. I'm, I, can, I cannot tell you what a pastor can learn by watching coffee, funerals, and weddings. You can learn everything you need to know about you. And the other thing is, happy people find happy people, loving people find loving people, generous people find generous people, right? So what's interesting is, is you start to find your people, but then you need to be leavened in the loaf of your people. You need to be encouraging and helpful. Take the Lurt guys, for example. You know, they, 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 they keep gathering new guys in, they bump, they nudge, and then suddenly, you know, you've got 14 guys who are doing a, marching in the parade 4th of July with chainsaws, doing, you know... <laughs> Right? So it's, it's kind of it's cool. So, you know, like finds like in any congregation. 
If that is in fact true, then what happens is we need to have everybody on the, on the side of the angels so that everybody, when they find their spot, find a non-crabby, you know, non-judgmental, non-any-other-sin kind of spot. We'd like to have lots of spots and lots of people, but all on the side of the angels. Make sense? Questions about any of that? I may not say as much to you going forward. I felt the responsibility to kind of get this in because of the timing of the new year, because we came to this very quickly, and also because um, we're really trying to get people to front load their giving because we want to have John Curl walk over to the, uh, to the bank and sort of renegotiate things as interest rates start to rise. We've got a couple of years, but we want to um, get out from under some of that. Okay, makes sense? Questions about anything? All right, a statistic for you. Now, last week there were people who couldn't read the chart. I thought to myself, A, that's because you never took statistics, or B, that's because um, we're really unclear. The answer is probably C in the middle somewhere. So I got together with my technical advisor, Pastor Bukes, and my emotional advisor, Pastor Nelson, and we gave you now a new more. Can you read this? Can you tell what this is? So on the bottom is how old am I? Am I 0 to 5, 5 to 10, right? What's that? Yeah, there is the, there is the dying thing at the 105 where we come to the zero point. So... Uh, <laughs> But we do have some over 100s, right? Can you figure this out? Zero to five, five to 10. I had, it, I, had it, I had it smushed together a little more, a very smooth kind of line, but I thought you might want to know. And then up the side is, so, um, you know, what does that say? 11, probably 10 and a half, 11% of the congregation is under five, right? That's kind of interesting, right? Tells you, well, what's the matter over here? That's a lot of kids. I mean, it tells you this morning was a little louder. Uh, it was kind of interesting. But we also, you know, there was a family or two that came through this week, and newer families are always horrified by the fact that their kids are going to be in and not out. So when they're in and they're, they're like, they sort of say, we're not sure our kids could behave for now. We're like, they'll learn to, just like every other kid learns to. The kids are generally very well behaved. It's interesting that that's having kids in, like being welcoming to kids has become sometimes a stumbling block for families. Because why? They don't want to be shamed, right? They don't want their kid to scream. So my advice to you is when kids scream, just look the other way and blame it on somebody else. Like look at the Ferrers. Like say, say like, it's the Ferrers who are, Diego, he's going crazy again over there. Just kind of give him the side eye, you know, and then it'll, it'll distract you from who's really screaming, okay? You know, just, it, it's all going to be all right, right? Okay, so... Um, does that make sense? You can kind of see when you stack this up, you start to add it up. You know, there's big numbers under 26%, under 19, right? You can kind of see where things are. And also then, you know, the sweet spot of giving, people between 50 and 60, people, you know, my age, those are the people who should be given, you know, half a million dollars a piece, right? So that's, there's several of those, 84 of them or something. So we should be loaded by the time this is done, right? Because, you know, by the time you're 60, you don't need money for anything anyway. You can put it in a pile in the front yard and burn it. Nobody will know the difference, all right? So it's all fine. Turn the page. Last thing. If you have 104 kids under five, then they crawl on the ground and they eat whatever they find, which would be a good reason to replace the carpet downstairs that we think is 37 years old, okay? There are a lot of snacks in that carpet, but um, we're not sure that all of them are approved by the FDA. So... You know, when you sort of say, you know, why are we doing that? Well, because, you know, we probably shouldn't have the exposed plumbing, right? The soil pipes and the other. We should probably, you know, 
people have done a great job with those things. A lot of times they've done it under pressure. You know, things are moved around done very quickly, but really we, we sort of need to move down through there and make that a wonderful, safe, clean, bright environment for kids. And it's probably a hundred thousand bucks. So you can just sort of see, these are when we say there's a couple of million dollars in projects, these things are just kind of stacked up. We did a really good job, you know. I, you know, I hear that on the side, Jan Grzeski still gets eight or 10 of you together and goes around and paints random houses on the inside. Sometimes people, they don't even know she goes around and does, don't, yeah. Because Jan was here, every time I would walk into this new building, Jan would have a roller in her hand and greet me, right? I think she may have painted the whole place by herself. It was quite, quite, quite remarkable. Or occasionally some people will come into my office or upstairs and they'll go, I haven't been here since I painted this. I'm like, well, thank you very much, right? But so there's, there's stuff to do, but um, we, should, we should probably just kind of think about that. Okay, I'll try to go shorter in the future. I just wanted to set you up for this and try to get you on the yes side of the equation. Because if you get on the yes side, you're still going to have the struggle. But if, you, if you're on the no side, you just sort of dismiss it and you say, hey, um, that's not a big deal. But I tell you, that's the reason the church is collapsing. The church is collapsing because nobody will take money seriously. And money is the very thing that will save the church. I know you find that weird because with money you pay pastors. With money um, you can call a deaconess. With money you give to the poor. With money you can um, send kids. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do. So you just have to think it through. Jesus has already worked this out for us. We're just a bit hard-hearted about it. Still good? I'm going to stop dead at quarter till because we have baptism of twins, which is always a special challenge. And uh, also the vicar's away preaching at another congregation for a pastor. So we're, uh, it'll take us a little longer to get with our game. Here's, been, here's where we've been, and this will be maybe a good place to put a period on it uh, over the time that we've been here. What you've seen in John's gospel is that Jesus runs into all sort of people who aren't on board. This is completely apropos for you because as you go through life in what's a non-Christian country and becoming a quite a non-Christian culture, uh, you're going to run into all kinds of people. There's a Christianity Today, I got an email. Uh, I get the, we get the magazine, so we get the email. And there was like eight things that you can't count on anymore when you talk to people about Jesus, right? I didn't print it for you because it's all the things we've already talked about. You know, people aren't going to know the Bible stories. People don't have language in their vocabulary for faith. They don't have the faith vocabulary in their, in their life, right? People don't make the assumptions that you make about God and mercy and what's important. People don't agree about whether or not people are good or evil. That's one of the things that's most interesting, right? So coming out of the Reformation, this notion that people are evil, rotten to the core, and need to be saved from that, that, that is not... Uh, you know, the Enlightenment was just the opposite of that, that you do the good that's in you and move forward and we'll all solve our problems because there are problems. So the good news is that this is not unlike Jesus moving through the Gospel of John, and that will be the practical help for you. Most of the people you bump into on the street, you'll meet in John's Gospel. And so we've already done that. I'm clear at the bottom of the first page under 2, you have folks who know too much, Nathaniel. You got folks who know too little, like Nicodemus. You got folks who know how to have fun, Cana. It's a, this is a weird thing for you, but Cana has become a favorite funeral text for people who have partied a bit too hard and died young, right? 
Because you have the natural, you have the natural impulse of Jesus loves a good party. So regularly, this probably happens once or twice a year, we have somebody who's kind of a shirt-tailed church member, maybe of a family. They played a bit too hard um, with all that that means, one sense or another. And what their family remembers about them is that they're the life of the party. And it's a great sadness. Well, the wedding at Cana is a perfect funeral text for that because Jesus loved people who who had a good party. Now, of course, Jesus would rein things in a bit, and you have to do that with the rest of the funeral text. But you see, you see how there's these points of contact. People who know too much, people who knew too little, people who love to have a great party. And then this woman who we've been talking about who's a bit out of step with everybody else. She's, um, the good life has escaped, escaped her in terms of money, in terms of community, in terms of religion. The things that most people would take for granted in uh, Jesus' day, if they were honorable Israelites, these, uh, this has eluded this woman. And so I'm pushing you then all the way to point number three. These disciples return and say, what just happened? Right? And so I'm going to now John, in John's Gospel, So just kind of 27 on, look what happens. You've had this long conversation that we've talked about, and the point of the conversation is Jesus is water, Jesus is the bridegroom, Jesus is the well, Jesus is rest, Jesus is truth. Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done, right? Jesus is the temple in the flesh, the proper place to worship. Your people worship over here, my people worship over here, who are you to tell me where I should worship? And then Jesus says, I am, right? He recalls the burning bush. He recalls Abraham. He, he, and you notice that he doesn't argue with her. He just sort of says, I'm it. Which should free all of you in these circumstances to have to have the right answer. So this J.K. Smith thing that we quote to you over and over again. The church doesn't um, have an apologetic. The church is an apologetic. So what will change people is your kindness. What changes this woman is the fact that Jesus is kind to her. Why do you, a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan? Why do you, a man, speak to me, a woman? Why do you, someone who comes from a tight-knit community, 12 disciples are with him, speak to me, someone who's alone, right? And Jesus just carries on as if he doesn't notice, which is what Jesus always does when he bumps into grievous sinners. It's the proud that Jesus is hard on. So he'll get angry and turn the tables over in the temple for people who are sure that they are right about everything. Or with the Pharisees, when they say to him, you know, by, by what authority do you say, right? Jesus is very hard on people who come at him pridefully. But Jesus, for sinners, and we so often in the church are just the opposite. We sort of let people who are prideful run the show because we don't want to be bothered with it or we think we believe their bravado. That's just the absolute wrong thing to do. The thing to do is to let people who who are soaked in humility run the show and then when people come in who are very different from you and take all the things we've talked about, right? From sexual orientation to being poor to being homeless to being to being to being, right? When those people come in, you're, you're sort of like Jesus. That's, that's not what defines a human being. 
What defines a human being is that they're created by God and they have dignity, right? That's what defines them, that they're children of God. And that's the sense that people should have when they come in the door to a church. They shouldn't have, you know, the sense that you're off-put by them or that you'll be a bother for them. So uh, just, just sort of keep going from 20, 27 on. And just then the disciples came. They marveled that Jesus was talking with the woman. So this is John 4, verse 27. But none of them said, what do you wish or why are you talking to her? Which is nice, actually, that they'll let Jesus do what he wants to do. The woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, come see a man who loves me, right? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can the Christ be the kind of person that loves me in spite of myself? Can Christ be the sort of person who loves me even though he knows all about me? This is the great, I, don't, I saw just quick things you read over the weekend. Um, you Maybe in Australia is going through a bit a decade later, the sexual abuse crisis that American pre- Catholic priests went through. So there's been a 17-volume study released, among which is that um, the, whoever did the study, so it's Australian government of some sort, um, their recommendation is to ban confession because confession does a couple of things. It facilitates the abuse of people, and it also allows, as they put it, um, predators to be guilt-free without having responsibility of, of punishment. Or, Of course, now, I've often said to you, if you rob a bank and come to confession, I don't reveal your confession, but if we don't do these things next, call a lawyer, call the police and give the money back, you're not really, you haven't really made a confession, right? I mean, if you're sorry for your sins, you make restitution. The Zacchaeus story. You can't go on living in sin if you're sorry for sins. So uh, it's, a, it's interesting because this is across cultures now. So now you've, um, you, sort of, you sort of watch as these uh, people who are invested in all the sexual harassment stuff, if you just take a step back from it, what, you, what you're seeing is people who know that there's been grievous sin done, but they haven't really thought about sin deeply. Now, make sure you hear, hear me properly. Grievous sin has been done by many people in many ways. But to think deeply about sin, what you're actually watching, if you just read a few Twitters and read a few stories and hear how people are going back and forth, what you see is their inability to, or maybe inexperience with, thinking deeply about both sin and life, right? So for Christians, for example, sex is very easy to sort out because it's always about the other, Right? If you, I mean, Bukes and Nelson, what they're doing on Friday morning is really quite brilliant. I sort of get the wash over when they sit down and sort of decompress. But this whole note, if you just have this simple thing, which Jesus would say, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? right? And so you just extend that to one part. You'd extend that to leasing a car. You'd also extend that to sex and how you care for other people. If, you, if, the, if, the, if you're just... If you're just 
the nominal way you engage other people sexually is to love your neighbors yourself, none of this happens. Right? What, you, what you're watching in all quarters, across everything, across the church, across government, across Hollywood, across the media, all the things that we've said would save us when the church fell down, you're watching the same thing happen in all places. It's all happening at once in the same place, which is we thought we could indulge ourselves at the expense of other people and it would all be okay. What is the first commandment? Love God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's so interesting. And you almost feel pity for people who can't, because what's happening now is they have to play this out publicly, and it's very sharp-edged, and much of it is true. I'm not talking about allegations. I'm talking about much of their observations about how deadly and hurtful sin can be is true. But how to negotiate this? This is what the church has done forever. But because the church is now outside the conversation, people have to work it out themselves, and it's a very painful experience. Now, in everything I've said there, what I don't want to do is be misunderstood in any way as minimizing what's going on. I actually want to maximize what's going on, but I also want to say the church knows the way through, right? And so how does the church engage? The worst thing the church can be is prideful and say, we have all the answers and you should just do what we tell you. But if you live like Christians and you're very sympathetic to those who have been hurt, and you refuse to tolerate in your own life, in your own workplace, and in your own politicians, in your own media, and your own, you know, everybody else, if you refuse to tolerate that, you make a stand for Christ. It doesn't have to be sharp-elbowed fingers in the eye, demonstration. It just has to be you live this life, because this is the life of Christ. Look what Christ does. It's just easy. He has the same response to everybody except the prideful, which is he welcomes them in. You don't know enough, I can help you. You know too much, I can help you. You're sick, I can help you, right? Your party's run out, I can help you. Your life's a wreck, I can help you. It's such an interesting... So the disciples come back and they go, what just happened? I mean, the simple answer is, Jesus loved the people around him, regardless of who they were. This is such a remarkable text. Nobody said, you know, what do you want or why did you do that? The woman left and says, come see somebody who loved me. Meanwhile, the disciples came to him saying, Rabbi, eat. Then he says, I have a food which you do not know, this this mystical thing, and the disciples aren't quite up to speed, and they can't translate, you know, the sign yet and the thing being signified. So John started by saying there are going to be signs and there will be things signified. The disciple says, you know, has anybody brought you food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now I'm just going to push you ahead to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Or, most people come to church because the friends ask him to come to church. He told me everything I ever did, right? And he still loved me. So, when the Samaritans came to him and asked him to stay with them, he stayed there two days. Isn't that remarkable? So, enemies became friends. And many more believed because of his word. So, he didn't make them believe him before he stayed. He stayed and then they believed him. They said to the woman, this is great. Hey, it's not because of you, now it's because of me. It's no longer because of your words that we believe, we've heard for ourselves. So he touched you and we liked what the touch did, but now he's touched us, and what happens to those people? They become the next merciful witnesses to Christ. And we know this indeed is the Savior of the world. 
And after two days, he departed to Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So he's going to go back and love people who won't even honor him. Which is not unlike where we started in John 1. And the light came. He came to his own people, and, and his people knew him not. You know, the light comes and it shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, but it's not very pleasant. Right? This, this is completely countercultural, which is exactly where you should find yourself in all the stuff that's going on. I, I, you know, I even, I'm not cynical, but I do, I, 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 I open up the news in the morning to start to read, and I do ask myself, I wonder what happened overnight. As in, you know, what stupid, crazy, mean-spirited, from any direction, from any vocation thing happened overnight. Because, you know, you think to yourself, now what could be worse today? Isn't that a weird way to come to the world? But it's Christmas time, and light's going to shine in the darkness, and Jesus is going to come in innocence, and he's going to change everything if only we'll have it. So your life isn't different than Jesus' life. Your life isn't different than the disciples' life. You're going to meet these very same people. If you want to go hard at them, um, they will shake the dust off their feet. And really, nothing will be accomplished. But if you can live in the way of Jesus and say, um, yeah, I love you in spite of yourself, and so I've sort of given you, um, this kind of ends up by saying, you know, if people are touched by that life, they can't, they can't help but respond. And seven, another way to say it is consolation is persuasion. I will take you back to, you know, I insist that most people feel alone and unloved. And if you can love them and give them community, they will respond. And the great thing is that you can give them divine community with the words of Jesus, with the Holy Eucharist, by coming to baptism, and by pointing to Christ, you know, who's the light of the world. All right, anyway, just sort of think that through, especially as you meet your crazy relatives over Christmas, uh, as you're at the airport and the line hasn't moved for two hours, you know, just, just the people you meet, uh, they're, they're all nuts, and uh, they still need to be loved, okay? we got to go. So, love you. Uh, now, I'll see you, the, uh, I'll see you the 21st, okay? So, no catechumenate, no Bible study, no Sunday school, no anything. Take a few weeks off, relax, but try to figure this out, um, and we'll see where we go. All right, love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you soon.